This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Listen up, men. The ABC is testing a new prototype, codenamed Last Resort. It was designed by one of their top specialists, showrunner Sean Ryan. Now, we don't know yet if this Last Resort program is going to work, but if it does, well, that could be a game changer. Captain Johnson, Officer Harbin, I'm sending you on a reconnaissance mission. We want to know everything there is to know about this thing. Study it, analyze it, and report back. I expect weekly dispatches from St. Marina. The fate of our nation depends on it. So get to it. You have the con. This is Dispatch 008 from the island of St. Marina. The purpose of this mission is to research the new prototype launched by the ABC, codenamed Last Resort, and to report back on our findings. As always, I'm Captain Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my XO, Gregory Harbin. Thank you for having me here again. No problem. I'm going to go ahead and grant you permission to speak freely, because I'm curious to see what you have to say about this week's episode of the show, but before we get started, I just want to say happy Thanksgiving. Yes, and happy Thanksgiving to you as well. I hope you had a, a pleasant one there. Hope nobody tried to steal any keys off of your neck. Nope. I'm thankful that all of my keys are safe and secure, that I'm not in the middle of what could potentially be a world <laughs> war. And I'm, I'm thankful that you're here to do the podcast with me uh, on a weekly basis. Yes, I, I'm thankful for all of those things. This is an episode that's actually, I'm thankful that I'm on this side of it because bad things happen to like everyone in this episode. And I just, I kept getting more and more uncomfortable and like, oh my God, what are they possibly going to do to these characters next? Yes, the title of this episode is Nuke It Out. It was written by Nick Antosca and Ned Vicini, and it was directed by our good friend Michael Offer, who just keeps coming back to direct episodes of the show. Greg, why don't you go ahead and remind our listeners what happened on this episode, since it's been a while since it aired. It aired on November 15th. Yeah, this was an episode with a lot of plot lines. I feel like they finally settled into like the A, B, C, D story style that I know they're going to be having for at least the next few episodes uh, based on some tweets from Carl Gadgetek. I guess the A story would be continuing about the key that was taken off of Chaplin's neck at the end of last episode. And they're basically just searching everyone and trying to find out who was possibly working with Booth and the rest of these um, operatives. And the morale is really going down. People, they're not telling anyone what's going on, and everyone's getting frustrated. And the only people who really know that the key is missing are the XO and Chaplin. Eventually, there's, there's stress between Kendall and Chaplin over the morale of the crew. Uh, Kendall ends up throwing a big party for everyone and showing them um, a game and saying, look, we're all, we all got to be in this together. And they find out that it was Cortez. Who, who had the key in the end. And it was actually kind of, I felt, we'll talk about this, but I felt like it was kind of a letdown that it was just up and revealed. She's out with all the girls at a sort of makeshift party that's going on at the same time. So let's see, the B story would be probably about the cob who finds out that drugs are being sold to his men and decides to basically go after everyone. He first goes after the Navy man who's buying the drugs and he goes after the drug dealer. And in the end, Surratt comes after him and burns off the bottoms of his feet and offers him painkiller, which he's been addicted to in the past. And 
we basically leave Cobb at the end hobbling off with his feet, you know, bloodied uh, with this addictive narcotic in his shirt pocket. And back in D.C., we've got Kylie and Kendall's wife, Christine, finally teaming up together. And Christine goes on a national news show and says that, look, I have this photo of the White House aide who was shot. Um, Look, the White House is lying to everyone. And at the same time, they're working on getting information out of Paul's car about what he's doing to help the White House in covering this up and getting information out of Christine. And finally, the last storyline is with Booth, who is the operative that is still alive after last week's big blow up. And he reveals that he's actually not working for the military, but he's actually hoping that the president gets taken out of office and that Kendall, without Chaplin there, can keep pressure on the White House and make things turn around. So he's sort of revealing himself as possibly not so much of a bad guy. Yeah, I think that's actually a good place to start our discussion because I owe you an apology, Greg. You were right. (laughs) Booth did survive last episode. And he is a recurring character. I I did look back, and you're right. They did make it a little bit unsure. And even everyone on the island, other than Kendall and Chaplin, thought he died. So it it was somewhat of a reveal this episode that he was still, in fact, alive. Right. And I'm still not sure what to think of his character because they've, they've taken him off. They've got him alone in this little bunker where it's implied they might be torturing him, but basically they're, they're interrogating him to try to find out who he is, what, it, what he wants, why he's there, and he reveals that he's actually CIA. Yeah. And he wants to help Kindle, and he thinks that the uh, Colorado and their crew could be valuable assets for, the, for, for this resistance movement that's formed in the United States, but he wants Chaplin gone. And I was sitting back and I was thinking, okay, I I was thinking about what happened in the last episode. And I was like, that still doesn't explain what the hell you were doing. Yeah. Last episode. It really doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't entirely. The one thing I can say is that he doesn't like that Chaplin's in charge because as he, as he tells Kendall, you know, this man has narcissistic, narcissistic tendencies um just like you know Gaddafi and and stalin and if this guy is in charge of nukes things are probably going to end badly so that aspect of things i kind of get but it still seems like he went a little bit far in his in his ways of of actually getting the key wait wait who who got so who who got the key so you're saying that booth wanted the key i think booth wanted to get the key away from chaplin I don't think Booth is trying to set off any nukes, but I think he wanted to take away their nuke capability. Okay, I, I wasn't clear on that. I must have missed that part where it was revealed that Booth was the one who wanted the key. I thought we it still wasn't clear yet who Cortez was working with. Because it was implied at one point she might be working for Surratt, but we can yes. get to that in a second. Right. I, I still don't understand why Booth and his team had to work with Surratt to contaminate the water supply with a chemical weapon just to just to take out chaplin i, I don't know that, again that whole episode just <laughs> still 
really bothers me. I just think yeah. it was an awful episode of television. Thankfully, this episode was better. It just didn't do much to shed any light on what happened previously. Yeah, there wasn't an awful lot of this is what happened going on in this episode. Like I say, I think Cortez is working with Booth. Um, and I get that from from Booth saying, or from Booth knowing that the key has been taken. So the fact that he knows that that's what was going on makes me think that he was the one who actually recruited Cortez. And the whole thing with her agreeing to help out Surratt, I think that's more just, I think it was more of a red herring to sort of throw us off the scent. Same with the scene where she kind of comes on to Chaplin and says, you know, I'll be here for whatever you need. Um, I, I think that was kind of just to throw us off her scent and make her think she's a different sort of character. But in the end, no, she is. She's just working with the CIA and she's, yeah, working against purposes to our main cast. Well, that that's a good point. You were right about Booth having survived and I was right about Cortez <laughs> being the one who stole were. the key. But and, and as soon as Cortez popped up in this episode trying to to be the perfect soldier and, you know, as you mentioned, even to the extent of coming on to Chaplin, I knew, okay, I was right. You totally, it's going to be revealed (laughs) that you were the one who took the key. And of course, at the end, it was revealed that she took the key. She hid the key under a random rock. (laughs) She did. (laughs) Where would you hide a key? Does that make sense to me? It's a good thing no kids on the island decided to go playing in that little quarry or wherever, and, and, and accidentally, uh, you know, kicked a, kicked a rock and <laughs> found this key. But yeah, I'm still not clear who she's working for, because at one point she tells Grace, I believe, Surratt had wanted her to feed him information. Right. But that when he killed Red, the deal was off. Well, that that's what she said. That, that That's what yeah. she says. But so I was thinking, okay, was that a lie? Is it actually... Was that was there some grain of truth in there? Like, is she actually still feeding Surratt information? Here's here's my connection. I know that she says that she she ended up not being willing to betray them. I think when Booth contacted Surratt, Surratt said, "I've got a man on the inside," and that's Cortez, and that he knew that he could help them out already. The thing is, I I don't know how connected Surratt is to all of this. He's very much claimed to not know what's going on. He thought he could just drug everyone and then they'd be off the island. But I think he's the one who brought Cortez into it. And I, I don't know what continuing leverage he has over Cortez, but it seems like he is still controlling her to some extent. Right. I'm, I'm not quite sure who she's working for exactly. And speaking of, of loyalties, it was also revealed this week that Paul, the government agent who was sent to manipulate Christine, it turns out he's actually being blackmailed as well. And there's some situation involving his son that's allowing Curry to manipulate him. So he's not as bad as we've been led to believe either. Right, because that's kind of how this show rolls, right? Everybody has some reason that they're not actually as bad as as you would think. I'm sure we'll find something that Curry has going on 
that's forcing him to do the things he's done. Like at this time, we even learned that Booth isn't really a bad guy. He actually wants the president out. He's just a, a good guy working at cross purposes. So yeah, why why wouldn't Paul have something happening? He's still doing some pretty crappy stuff though. I actually really liked his scenes with Christine this week. I, I don't want to say that um, she's a bad actress, but I felt like where she was pretending to whatever she was doing, she was pretending to be more scared. She was pretending to be coming on to him. All of those scenes worked really well for me because I could see that the character was acting. So I guess she is a really good actress, right? Because <laughs> I was getting that sense that, okay, here she's she's really manipulating Paul in this scene. Yeah, it was nice to see Jesse Schramm actually have something to do other than sit around and cry and complain. <laughs> I, I like how the character of Christine is becoming a more active character, and she's sort of helping Kylie out, and you've got this kind of spy espionage stuff going on with Kylie having to uh to, to sneak the bug into paul's car i mean it wasn't like the most intense thing i've ever seen but it was nice to act to, to just see something happening with them for a change yeah definitely um and it, it i was glad to see after last week's christina being only a hallucination and kylie not being in it at all this week they were really doing stuff um and especially there's even that scene with Kylie in a parking garage with Martha Hackett, who was, I guess, playing a character called Forrest. Yeah, I mean, here's Kylie doing stuff and actually trying to uncover the truth. And it was really great to see. Yeah, you you mentioned how last week Christine was just a hallucination. It turns out it didn't take long for Kendall to realize that he had kissed Sophie because she just keeps it playing on her computer <laughs> for some reason it's her uh yeah it's, it's her, her screen screensaver screen she's got it running on a loop she's got a gif that she posted to her tumblr yeah that seemed a little convenient to i me. knew it wasn't going to take long for him to figure it out because that's how the show goes is every time there's a secret it's discovered the very next episode but i still was a little let down it's like oh you couldn't hold that like one episode also did it really matter <laughs> Did anything really happen as a result of him discovering that? Yeah, and she sort of says, right? Only an American would apologize for a kiss. Right. Like, I, she's like, I don't care. Like, well, I mean, certainly inside she cares about him and, and wants the kiss to have meant something. But she knows the kiss didn't mean anything. He knows the kiss didn't mean anything. So it didn't really further their relationship. Why did they even include it in the first place? That's what I want to know. Why, why was it there? Oh, this, this is continuing my theory that I'm, I'm beginning to understand from you that last week's episode was just kind of a mess and they're kind of having to damage control because I feel like they <laughs> threw a lot of stuff into last week's episode that didn't really make sense, didn't really work. And they're, they're kind of having to clean it up. And this is one of them. Like, yes, it's great that they have this triangle going on because triangles are fun. Um, there's another one we can talk about in a moment, but uh, the actual kiss and there being a reveal of it being on video doesn't turn out to be that interesting. And and maybe if, you know, if the show gets enough time, uh, they can actually have something that happens naturally between them that leads to a real kiss. And And maybe we can look back and say, okay, well, there was the fake kiss and then the real kiss and one led to the other. But I really was unimpressed with the, the resolution of that here. Right. Last week's episode was just a total mess. 
And this week's episode, I feel like it's it's still messy. That they're trying to add some new twists. The problem is, again, and we've said this before about the show, there is so much stuff going on that yeah. none of it really has time to breathe and to sit with the audience. I mean, th- there's so much stuff happening in this episode. You, you brought up the other love triangle. King betrays Tawny and ends up having sex with Grace on the beach yep. randomly. <sighs> with some really, really great beach sex music. Yeah, I don't know about you, but that was <laughs> usually it's like some great like or some terrible romantic like harps going on and violins. I, I don't know, but this was like some like hard edge electric guitar. I, I really liked the scene, but yeah, I mean, so much for King being somebody we're rooting for, right? Yeah, and I mean, there's sort of been that question ever since the show began. Oh, who's Grace going to end up with? You know, she's so uptight, but clearly she's surrounded by all these guys. Surely she has to have a sex life that will uh, flare yeah. up at some point. And we found out in this episode, she she's kind of into King. Though, I guess when you work with someone in a life-threatening situation to disarm a bomb, I guess that could tend to, you know, cause some emotions. <laughs> I, I, I guess. Like, I understood the emotion of it and... And and how they got to that point, but he was just in bed with Tawny, right? I, I guess the the connection they were making was he was telling her how he liked her hair up, and then when he's with Grace, he actually lets her hair down. So he's apparently got a thing with hair, and right, <laughs> he doesn't really have a thing with regrets because it's Grace at the end who says this is a one time thing. He he didn't say, oh wait, this was a big mistake. I'm in love with the Australian girl. It was Grace saying this really wasn't a thing. We're we're not going to do this again. Well, this is the second time uh, in which we've seen King in a life-threatening situation where he nearly dies, mm-hmm. and yep. th- that causes him to immediately go have sex. <laughs> so clearly, danger turns him on. This is quite true. And I'm wondering, is this going to be a pattern that keeps popping up? You know, like every episode, <laughs> is he just going to like barely survive and then go have sex with the first woman he sees? It's very possible, actually. <laughs> that would not surprise me at all. I mean, he's always looking for the next thrill, right? I, I King right. does not seem to be easily satisfied, which I don't remember who it was, but I think somebody warned Tani about that. I think it actually might have been Grace, come to think of it, that these Navy SEAL boys just like a thrill, right. and it doesn't take much to excite them. But, I mean, once they're excited, they're excited. And, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing who else King can sleep with before the end of the show. <laughs> No one on the Colorado is safe from King. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Sh- should we talk about the actual the event that led to the beach sex, the, the terrible sand beach sex? Sure. That, they're watching the game, having a good time, and then suddenly this female crew member shows up with a bomb strapped to her. And this is another example, I think, of the show just trying to do too much. Absolutely, yes. I mean, sure, it was an intense scene, but with everything else going on, I really don't think it was necessary, especially because she was sent by Surratt and one of his, you know, drug kingpin henchmen, and they've already got that subplot with the Cobb going on. You know, I really don't think they needed this extra act of evil from Surratt on top of it all. 
Yeah, I kept trying to figure out, like, what is retaliation for what? This was retaliation, I guess, technically for the scene where they went and accused Surratt of, well, being involved with everything, right? I mean, that was basically what happened was they go and they say, you know, what did you have to do with this whole thing? Was that the scene where they actually execute one of his second in commands? No, that was after, after the bomb, right? They do that because of this situation with the bomb. This was in response to what exactly? I don't think Chaplin had done anything except threaten him with cruise missiles, which I did love that scene. Where... It's just because he doesn't like them, okay? Right. We, we, we get it. Surratt does not like these people on his island, and apparently no matter how many times they beat him or he finds himself in a messy situation because he he's trying to get back at them he keeps doing it again yeah and i'm just sitting here wondering when will you learn surat you, <laughs> you you need to be more methodical in your evil yeah. plans because right now it just seems like every week he's got some new thing he's going to try just for the hell of it and it'll go wrong yeah, and I, I did like, the one thing I liked was a chaplain threatened him with cruise missiles. And he has that great line about how he's been threatened with many things, but never with a cruise missile. And then when he pushes the, the girl off with the bomb, she's got cruise missile written on the tape. It was good, like, and that really built the tension. And I think it was trying to get viewers in because this was prominently placed in the next week on, the week before, but the fact that it basically gets resolved so easily, you know, the second time I watched it, knowing that it was going to be resolved, there was absolutely zero tension in that scene. Right. And there's a way to do tension where even if you know what's going to happen, you're still on the edge of your seat, on the, you know, yeah, on the edge of your seat. Here, there's like nothing. It's like, okay, he's got to take the thing off. He's got to pull the wire out and it's over and nothing happens. I'm reminded of the episode of Battlestar Galactica. I believe it's active contrition. There's actually a bomb that goes off and kills like 12 people. And it's, it's a big emotional moment. And if they'd done that here, well, then we have a story. But if right. we're not actually going to kill anybody and it's just going to be a, a threat, it's just going to be, you know, like bar wars on cheers, then why are we really spending time dealing with it? Well, here's the thing. Surratt does that. And then Chaplin goes and executes one of his guys. And I was saying to myself, on the one hand, finally, <laughs> you're actually standing up for yourself and your crew and taking action. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, once again, you're letting Surratt live and you're letting yep. him get away with this. What does Surratt have to do exactly <laughs> for Chaplin to point the gun at him? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Well, hopefully he's finally done it. I mean, the other storyline that I talked about was with the cob that started off easy enough where he he finds a little bit of heroin or something in a in a retainer case and has a great scene where he shoves the guy's face in a toilet and i thought you know if, if the cob did that to me i'd be scared i'd never do drugs again <laughs> but apparently it didn't work and he has to keep escalating keep escalating and finally we get this horrifying scene where Surratt monologues his face off while his henchmen take blowtorches to the cop's feet and they feed him narcotics. What did you think of that scene? And do you think this is finally enough for Chaplin to take Surratt down? I was not a fan of that twist. Here's the thing. 
again, it just goes back to the episode just trying to do too much. I think maybe that would, this thing about the Cobb now supposedly being addicted to painkillers again, I think that would be an interesting subplot if, again, they had given it time to breathe. As it stands, the audience is suddenly told, not only is the Cobb upset about all these drugs because he's been addicted in the past, but he's going to be addicted again now because of what Surratt is doing to him. And... That is a lot of information to suddenly get in one scene. Yeah. And I think if they had just let us know at the end of this episode, hey, the reason the Cobb is so concerned about the drugs is he used to be an addict himself. And then maybe next episode or a few episodes down the road have that resurface. I think that would have been better. But as it stands, it's just so much happening you really don't know what to think about it. It's like, okay, should it, how, how should I feel about the cop? Should I feel upset that he's an addict and now he could potentially undermine Chaplin and the crew because he wants drugs? Should I be on his side because of what Surratt did to him? I mean, he's already been a pretty ambiguous character, and I feel like this episode just kind of muddled him. A little bit. And, and in, instead of the good kind of ambiguity where you're intrigued by a character even though you don't know what to think, now it's suddenly like there's so much stuff with him. I'm just kind of like, I, I don't want anything to do with him now, almost. Hmm. I, I just want him to go back to how he was. <laughs> I can see that. And, and yeah, I think you're right that it's not served by so much going on. I kind of miss lost where they had these episodes that were specifically focused on one character and you could could have a larger arc going on but it there in the end there was a focus and nobody at all was a focus in this episode and if it had all been about Cobb and if maybe this had been the episode where you know they'd been hinting about he was addicted to drugs and here's the episode where it finally comes out like that would have made it a powerful episode people would be able to say yes that episode with the Cobb getting addicted to painkillers. That was a great episode. But so much happened. In trying to prepare for my intro to the show, I couldn't figure out at all what to nail down as the main part of the show. And I think, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, and I mean, TV shows do do things different ways, but I think that's something that handicapped this show, is kind of a lack of focus in each episode. I would agree with that. Um, It seems to me like the show, it has all these different storylines that it's trying to develop, and I applaud its ambition. But it seems like the writers haven't quite figured out yet how to properly structure out each subplot. I just feel like structurally at this point, the show's kind of a mess, and it's trying to do certain things at the wrong time, or too quickly, when really I think it would be better served if the, the, the showrunners just took a step back and said, okay, let's work with what we got, let's, oh, let's give these moments time to breathe, and then maybe deal with this, some of this other stuff in future episodes. Yeah, I, de- I definitely think you're right. Um, now, the other storyline we haven't talked about yet is the, the scenes... Well, I guess we talked about it a little bit, but I want to talk about the scenes with Booth. Do you think he is actually a good guy? Like, do you believe the things he says about 
working for the CIA and wanting to leave Kendall in charge? Well, again, I I have no idea just because I can't make sense of what happened last episode. <laughs> right. So until I can make sense, until I can have any sort of inkling as to w- what the main goal was with that, um, I'm not sure what to think of Booth. Because on the one hand, I want to think, oh, yeah, maybe he is CIA. That's an interesting development. But if so, how does that fit in with the chemical attack? And yeah. I'm not sure it does. So I am kind of doubting, like, is is he CIA? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It, and it's hard to tell. I, I do like, I like Booth. I think he's interesting. And his scenes with Kendall were some of the strongest in the episode. And I like that at the same time we had King, you know, having his little bomb scare grace thing, you know, adrenaline rush. We also had him sort of investigating what was going on with the the Black Ops team, where he he's working with his Navy SEAL buddy, and they find out that there's there were only four graves dug, even though there were five. And the the big moment was where they come to Kendall and say, what are you doing? What's going on here? And his buddy says, we need to get in there and find out what he knows. And King kind of backs Kendall up, which was pretty cool and makes me like, well, on one end, I want to not like King because he's kind of screwing over Tani and he, he's always looking for a thrill. But on the other hand, look, here he is backing up Kendall and saying, look, he's got it. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. And it'll be interesting to see if King later turns on Kendall if the situation with Booth doesn't really get resolved mm-hmm. in a timely fashion, because that certainly could could be another point of conflict there. I'd love to see King and Kendall from here get into a big argument that maybe Kendall screws this whole thing up because he's kind of trusting that Booth is telling him the right thing. And it seems to me by the end of the episode that he's thinking of betraying Chaplin and letting the CIA take him. And if, Booth isn't telling the truth or if this could turn out really bad for Kendall, that he's putting so much trust in Booth. And of all of the of, of all the different subplots going on in the show, that is the one I find most interesting. The idea that Kendall may have to make that choice to get rid of Chaplin. Because I think the character of Chaplin and that relationship between the two of them, that should, in my mind, be the primary focus of the show. Mm-hmm. Just because Andre Brower is such a good actor, and just because the character of Chaplin is potentially so complex, and as we've seen, it's entirely possible his goals won't line up with Kendall's. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. I think, obviously, I don't know what the show is coming to as... You know, we got 13 episodes. I'd love to see a showdown between Kendall and Chaplin because I keep um, kind of what the big thing I want to talk about today is the two of them because we're starting to see fissures in that relationship where a couple weeks ago during the negotiations, Chaplin kind of used Kendall to negotiate. And in the end, I think Kendall was, was okay with it, but kind of wish he'd been in the know. But this time, Chaplin's really doing stuff that Kendall doesn't agree with at all. And I just feel like things are getting tenser and tenser, and Chaplin is kind of on his own by the end of the episode. 
Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how that develops in the future. Because I I do think it would have been interesting if the show hadn't gotten canceled, which unfortunately we found out yeah. uh, last week that it that it has been canceled. I think it would have been it, it would be interesting to see if Last Resort would would turn into something like Babylon Five. Mm-hmm. Where there was a major casting change <laughs> between seasons <laughs> yeah. one and two. Um, have, have you seen Babylon Five? That's like that's next on my list, okay. literally of things okay. to see. Babylon Five is, is pretty. It's dated, but it's pretty fantastic. And yeah, between seasons one and two, they switch commanders. Oh they wow! Switch actors, um, and it's actually really cool, and it really does sort of keep you on your toes as a viewer, because you would kind of never expect that to happen. But yeah, I think it would be really interesting, or it would have been interesting, you know, if the if Last Resort ultimately built to a showdown between Chaplin and Kendall. Yeah. And what happens if Chaplin has to step aside, or be killed, or taken out of the picture somehow? And what if Kendall suddenly became... The, the main leader of yeah. everything going on. I think that would be really interesting. Well, that would be, you know, obviously this isn't going to happen, but I'm imagining a season two where maybe Chaplin isn't killed, but he is taken back to the mainland and put in prison. And we have scenes with him versus Curry there, but back on the island, Kendall's taken over the leadership. That, that could have been a really, really cool season two if the show were going there. As it is, we know we have 13 episodes, and that announcement sort of came out where they still had, I think, two episodes left to film. So they've got plenty of time to wrap everything up and make it a you know 13-episode miniseries. Uh, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, that, that, that's what they're saying. They're saying they have time to, to close it out, that all the episodes are going to be aired. I think things have changed where they want to be able to sell the, the DVD. They want to be able to sell it to Netflix. And they want to have a, an actual story that's told. So it's going to be interesting to see where it goes, but I kind of want to go on record as saying, I think Kendall and Chaplin are not going to be on the same side much longer. I think there's too many cracks opening here. I think Booth is way too easily getting inside Kendall's head. I I, I don't think that things are going to turn out the way Booth wants, but I just, uh, Kendall just doesn't have loyalty to Chaplin the way he did in the pilot. Yeah, I I definitely think that relationship is changing. I, I know we don't really have... A main topic for this week, just because there was so much stuff going on in this episode. So I want to wrap up just by asking you, you know, we've got six episodes left of Last Resort. After that, there's no more Last Resort, unfortunately. So what are you hoping to see from the show in its second half? Well, number one, I'm hoping to see the president, (laughs) the president of the United States. I want to see what his motivations are what led to this. I'd love to see him removed from power and an actual resolution of that. Let's see the good guys win in Washington because that's <clears throat> as much as, as much time as we've spent down on the island, the real show is happening in Washington and all the stuff we just don't even have any idea about is going on there. So I really hope we see some of that. And at the same time, I hope Chaplin gets some sort of resolution to his character that we know he, he lost his son recently and, he just doesn't have anybody left other than a, an estranged son that I guess at this point we'll never, never, ever see. So he's kind of left with nothing. I'd love to see him have a good resolution 
where we can feel good about what's happened to him and, and good for feel good about the way he's treated the crew and treated, you know, his commanding officer and the evil people. I mean, we've already seen Curry. Why exactly is he doing what he's doing? Does he really believe that America can be an empire on earth? That seems really outlandish. And if that is his motivation, you know, he needs to meet his end pretty quick. And after being proven that he's wrong. So that's, that's the sort of thing I'm hoping for big time resolution to some of these story arcs and see characters that I've grown to actually like over the past couple months. I'd like to see them have their storyline reach a, a conclusion. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on wanting to see more Curry. I always want to see Jay Carnes, you know, yeah, more Jay yeah. Carnes is never a bad thing. So I definitely want to see more Curry and I'm, I'm hoping that they will wrap up a lot of these major story arts that have been running through the show and a lot of these big questions about what is actually going on behind the scenes in Washington. Overall, though, I'd say I just want the show to slow down for at least an episode or two and just breathe, give us some some (laughs) intimate times with these characters, allow us to really feel for them, and just focus on developing these characters for an episode or two before we enter the final stretch. Yeah, That way, the audience is fully invested in these people before it's all resolved. I gotta ask you, do you watch Homeland? That's, you know, that's on my list. People keep telling me how good Homeland is. And I'm actually getting the sense that it's kind of like this, but focused on Washington. Am I I wrong? It is dealing with some similar ideas related to foreign policy and and war but the main difference i would say is that homeland is more than anything else really a character show even though there are some pretty incredible plot twists that happen throughout it's it's really remarkably structured in that you will have these huge plot twists and reveals that you can't see coming but then there will also be episodes that are really nothing but characters sitting around talking, Hmm. for example, and just really trying to delve into who these people are. And I wish that Last Resort had more moments like that, where, you know, sometimes what's more intense than a person running around with a bomb strapped to them is actually just two people in a room talking, as we saw when Jake Harns showed up for his mm-hmm. for the negotiations. Yep. So I think more episodes like that could really benefit this show in the second half. So hopefully yeah. we'll see some of that. We'll we'll have to see. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of worried that the show's never gonna reach that peak again. That that's gonna be the episode I say, last resort was really good, just watch that Jake Harns episode. And the rest of it's going to be kind of just this muddled mess. Not that I didn't like this episode. I thought it was really good. But yeah, they're just they're still trying to do way too much in each episode. And I wish everything we saw up till now could have been the majority of the first season, but just stretched out and given more time to breathe and more character moments. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see what Carl Gadjasek and Sean Ryan have planned for us in the second half. Is there anything else you would like to say about nuke it out before we wrap up this episode uh i guess the only thing would be what the hell does the title mean (laughs) i have no idea (laughs) i figured out every other title even voluntold 
is an actual thing. Like, I know that duke it out is a term. I thought there were going to be nukes in the episode. Yeah. But uh, no, nothing like that. I was thinking to myself, oh, episode seven, is, is this some big turning point? It's called Nuke It Out. Maybe there will be some more nuclear weapons fired. Nope, nothing. <laughs> Not so much. No. Come on. China has invaded <laughs> Taiwan. There's, there's stuff happening in, in Washington we don't know about. The Russians showed up earlier. I mean, with a title like Nuke It Out, you would expect one of these major players to fire a nuclear weapon. But I, yeah, no. Not so much. But, yeah, I mean, that, that, I guess that's, that's the only thing. I liked how it was sort of a dark Bar Wars episode and things just kept escalating, kept escalating. And hopefully that tension will continue into next week. Who knows? Maybe the series finale will be called Nuke It Out Again. <laughs> Nuke It Out or Again. Nuke It Nuke Out it For out Real. <laughs> for real this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that'll wrap it up for this dispatch from St. Marina. As always, we would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at lastresort at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. We'd really appreciate it if you leave us a review. That helps us get the word out about the show. And uh, don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, and Let's Get Real. Officer Harbin, where can people find you online? Yeah, you can continue to find me at Greg Harbin on Twitter. That's G-R-E-G-H-A-R-B-I-Z-N-B-O-Y-I-N. And you can also find me every week on Trek.fm on the podcast The Ready Room, which is a Star Trek discussion show, as well as the Observation Lounge, which is a more general geek-focused show, uh, which we actually had you on this week, along with Michael Nixon from Geek Crash Course, to discuss Skyfall. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun episode. I can't wait to, to, to listen to how it all turned out. I hope you made me sound really professional. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. If you follow me, be sure to message me and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. You can also find more of my writing at FilmGeekRadio.com. All right, Officer Harbin, I think that'll do it for this episode. Do you concur? I concur. All right, please take out your key and insert it into the firing mechanism. Okay. And three, three two, two, one. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio. Yeah.